person sits under a tree. They decide to meet the truth of themselves, and by doing so, to meet the truth of the universe at large. They confront their own ego. Consciousness pierces through unconsciousness, and eventually we call this person enlightened. The first enlightenment is an individual enlightenment. Why do I say this? Because even though that individual may have reached a state of enlightenment, in the very next town there's a man who is ruled by his own ego, and next to him another man, and next to him another man, and next to him another man. This presents an issue for the Buddha. Why? Because during his individual enlightenment he saw the truth that all is one. And so the Buddha must embark now on what we call a second enlightenment. One becomes aware that if oneness is the truth of this reality, and if there is a single being in this universe that has not reached a state of enlightenment, then it is impossible to be genuinely enlightened. Until all beings are in a state of enlightened awakeness, he cannot fully be in an enlightened and awake state. At this point, his own enlightenment is dependent upon awakening the world, and his path becomes the path of the teacher. He uses the people who are not awake to reflect to him the aspects within himself that are not awake. He teaches people to become awake so that united consciousness can become enlightened in its totality. This is the secondary enlightenment. The awakening to the fact that individual enlightenment is not true enlightenment. Only collective enlightenment is true enlightenment. The problem with teaching to the world from an enlightened perspective is that it is a vibrational state that is so high, so far beyond the perspective, let's say, that most people hold on the planet that it is inaccessible. Just think about the guru who comes to somebody who's lost their child and says, there is no death. At that moment, that truth is inaccessible. And so, instead of it helping a person feel better, it makes them feel worse. It actually separates them from their own divinity. In other words, it enhances the distance between the two perspectives instead of closes the gap between the two perspectives. Essentially, after a person has experienced the first enlightenment, but before they have experienced the secondary enlightenment, they can live in a kind of narcissistic bubble, a reality that is accessible only to them and to no one else. This perspective makes other people feel alone, not good enough, like they're failing, lowly, stuck alone in pain that they should be able to get out of, but can't. For the teacher to teach, he or she cannot teach from a narcissistic bubble. He or she cannot teach from a frequency and perspective that is too far beyond the personal perspective and frequency that the person they are teaching holds. This doesn't just apply to enlightened teachers. It applies to all people on the planet. But to help you understand this, I'm going to have to topple a sacred spiritual pillar. I'm going to have to pop a spiritual bubble for you. Now the first spiritual bubble I'm going to pop for you is the fact that most all spirituality is nothing more than one giant coping mechanism. 
This should scare the death out of you. Why? Because the ego itself is nothing more than a coping mechanism for life. That means that most all spiritual practice feeds the ego. At face value, most spiritual teachers call for change. The change from unloving to loving, the change from imprisoned to free. But what if I told you that most spiritual teachers are doing nothing more than teaching you how to cope with the world? The self-help and spiritual field is littered with the pollution called coping. I am no exception to this rule. Much of what I teach you is coping techniques for the world. These tools are useful. They are helpful. They can be life-changing. But there is something beyond them. There is something better than coping. It is a universal truth that if you shift what is within, what is external will change in accordance with it. As a spiritual teacher, I'm supposed to look at you and say, there's nothing wrong with this world. But I have one question. If you observe this world, you will notice that every action we take, every food we eat, every relationship we get into, every video we watch is done for one reason and one reason only, is to feel better. What kind of world is this that we have created if we spend every minute of every day of our lives trying to feel better in it? What kind of a world have we created if every minute of our lives is spent trying to figure out how to cope with it? More than that, what kind of world have we created if we have to teach our children how to cope with it? The people in this world who have experienced a secondary enlightenment have a dream that will not die in them. And that dream is the dream of creating a world that people don't have to cope with. One of the sacred pillars in spirituality is the pillar of positive focus. We understand that in a law of attraction-based universe, what you focus on, you get more of. So it's obvious then to create the reality you want around you. Just focus on something that feels good. Don't focus on the things that don't feel good. And eventually, regardless of what the people around you do or don't do, you've created a positive reality for yourself. But what happens then? What happens when you've created a narcissistic positive bubble of happiness for yourself, a reality that you live in and others don't? Your life may be going wonderfully, but you could be living in a world with people who are living in hell. And those people may be your friends or family even, but why do you care? If you're feeling good, why do you care if other people are unhappy? After all, the only reason you care is if seeing them unhappy makes you feel unhappy. So you want them to feel good so you can feel good. This way of going about your life is only possible if you have not yet awoken to the reality of oneness. It is only possible with an ego that is running your life. Now what if you looked at this through the lens of oneness? If someone in the world is feeling joy, that's you feeling joy. And conversely, if there's someone in the world that's feeling suffering, that's your suffering. And what happens if you cut yourself off from this to either direction? Cutting yourself into a world that's purely negative, or cutting yourself off into a world and a reality that's purely positive. You have created a split. You have created a fragmentation within yourself. A fragmentation within the universe at large. Just so we can get this clear, a fragmentation or a fracture or a split within yourself, the universe at large, it isn't healthy. It isn't healing. It's the exact opposite of that. For the sake of this episode, I'm going to address the people who have cut themselves off into a positive bubble. I'm going to address their strategy because this is what many spiritual methodologies advocate for. 
People who have cut themselves off into a positive bubble reality can tell they're damaging themselves by doing this because of the way it hurts other people when they bring their happy bubble into other people's realities, which are realities of pain. If you're this person, you have created a clash of realities where each person is alone in their reality. But it doesn't matter to you because you're the one that feels good. I should say you will feel good up until the point that your happy bubble makes people feel not heard, not seen, not felt enough, and therefore alone enough. They will leave you because of how much better it is to be completely alone than alone in the physical company of someone else. There's a terrible story about a group of people who are all following a teacher. And this particular teacher was an advocate of this concept of focusing positively so as to cut yourself off into a kind of narcissistic bubble of joy. This teaching was don't focus on anything that you don't want to have come into your reality. So what happened? At this workshop, there was a person who fell down in a bad way, as in they couldn't get up. There was not one person in the entire group that went over to help them because none of them wanted to include a fall or injury in their own reality. By virtue of this practice, they lost their humanity. There is a belief that being in a purely positive, feel-good perspective draws people to you, but this is not always true. If people are feeling negative, it splits you apart from them. It repels you both. It makes you not a vibrational match to those people. It creates the opposite of integration in this world. So my question, which goes beyond the first enlightenment, is to create your own happy individual reality through your focus, which you absolutely can do, is that so good to do? Or are you missing that everyone is you? If everyone is you, does it do any good to leave everyone outside your own bubble of pleasure so that your single embodiment can feel good? If you accept that everyone is you, your own happiness and joy and also expansion from that point forward must accommodate other people. The narcissistic happy bubble reality can no longer feel good to you. And it is at that point that you are being called to integrate polarities. Awareness and true consciousness, a state of enlightenment, is a state that accommodates all polarities. Now this is not what many spiritual teachers are advocating for. Instead of using the tool of positive focus, for example, as the tool that it is for specific circumstances, they're using it as the methodology for an entire way of living. They polarize themselves. They lose access to awareness and therefore awakening because their perspective can no longer accommodate negative. Enlightenment is not possible from this perspective. Positive focus, like any tool, can be a brilliant and useful tool. It can be just as dangerous, though, as negative focus. Positive focus can be extremely dangerous when it disallows you from seeing, feeling, hearing, and understanding other people's realities. It prevents us from accessing each other. It prevents us from connection. And why is that a problem? Because if we can't access each other's realities and if we can't have connection, then there is no way to create a collective awakening. Polarizing oneself is in fact a state of denial. It's a state of denial because to swing completely to one degree, you have to deny the opposite degree. So let's say to focus solely positive, you have to deny negative. And to focus completely negative, you have to deny positive. It is a state of denial, not consciousness. To be clear, the point of spiritual evolution is conscious awareness. For conscious awareness to exist, we need to accommodate both polarities. 
We need to accommodate other people's realities. Now, this exclusion of polarities doesn't just apply to positive and negative. It applies to all spiritual truths that are often contradictory. Here's what I mean by this. At the highest dimensional level of this universe, you do not live or die because you are eternal. That is true for this universe at the 11th and 12th dimension. But what about in the third dimensional consciousness, your physical life embodiment? Here, it is absolutely a truth that you are born and that you die. So, those of us who have a limited consciousness that cannot allow for both opposing realities to be true simultaneously will say, no, there is no such thing as death and birth. There is only eternal life. They make one an illusion and the other real, but I'm going to tell you that both are real and both are true. It is true that you are eternal and it is true that you are born and that you die. These types of polarities exist within spiritual practice because they exist within the world. They exist within the universe. We need to accommodate the truth and reality of both. We have no space in our immature consciousness for opposing truths to both be true. We deny one to make space for the other instead of making space within our consciousness for both. I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this little truth. The other day, I walked down to these amazing waterfall gardens. One of these waterfalls had a platform that was right next to it, and there were eight people standing there. They were in awe and total rapture at the magnificence of this incredibly beautiful waterfall. I was not in that reality. Instead, I was looking at the body of a dead dog who somebody had thrown over the edge of that waterfall. He was floating there, lifeless, at the bottom of the waterfall. The other eight people were oblivious to the body of the dog. They could not include it into their awareness. They were as oblivious to the horror of the dog as, frankly, I was oblivious to the beauty of the waterfall at that moment. Our experiences and perceptions of the scene were completely different, non-accommodating of one another's reality. We were polarized. Because they were feeling good, they were oblivious to the pain and isolation of being in a different reality. Pain calls for presence, but no one could be present with the pain because they could not see it. It was outside the scope of a reality that they were willing to see, and the beauty of the waterfall was outside the scope of the reality that I was willing to see. Awareness and consciousness, a state of enlightenedness, would have been for all of us to see, feel, and accommodate both the beauty of the waterfall and the horror of the dog. All would be included. Awakened consciousness is an inclusive perspective instead of an exclusive perspective. United consciousness would be united instead of split in this way. It is at this point that I will say that in order to increase a state of inclusive consciousness, I strongly encourage you to watch my video on YouTube titled And Consciousness, the modern day replacement for the middle way. A sad fact is that if you are polarized, you will attract into your life people of the opposing polarity. This is the universe's way of helping us to become conscious of the things we are in denial of. Now the crappy part is that this is going to make you feel much more alone. Because when you're fixed into a conscious state of negativity, and someone who is in a positive state of, of uh, focus comes into your reality, 
It will instantly make you feel isolated. Not seen, not heard, not felt. So, if you're absorbed in negative, you will attract people who are absorbed in positive. If you're absorbed in positive, you will attract people who are absorbed in negative. Now, there's another thing that's super painful about this polarization that we can tend to do. It is that we polarize ourselves out of each other's reality. If someone in our lives is in pain and all we see is pleasure, we cannot see them. We polarize ourselves into a state where even if we are in the same room, we are in different realities. Here in this example of the waterfall, can you see which way you are polarized? Are you the person who's so absorbed in the horror of the dog that you cannot accommodate the beauty of the waterfall into your experience? Or are you the person who is so absorbed in the waterfall, not wanting to feel bad, that you cannot accommodate the horror of the dog into your experience? Now here's the fun part. If you're the person who could not accommodate the waterfall because of your absorption in the horror of the dog, then positive focus will in fact bring you closer to a state of enlightenment. It will bring you into a state of awareness of the opposite polarity. However, if you're the one who is so absorbed in the waterfall that you can't accommodate the horror of the dog, for you to come into a state of enlightenment, a state of consciousness, you have to be willing to feel pain and to accommodate the negative into your reality. We must learn to be inclusive to the greater whole, to those perspectives, in order to create integration within ourselves and integration within this universe. It is only when we come into this state of awareness, the inclusive state of consciousness, where we can accommodate polarities, that we can in fact be inspired to write action. An inclusive consciousness, a consciousness that accommodates all polarities and all people and all perspectives, leads us to the awareness that often coping with things isn't a virtue. Often it is just denial or coping with things that shouldn't be coped with. Sometimes it's just not taking action that in fact needs to be taken. Sometimes what is really called for is to accept that something is there and then to change it. Once your consciousness can accommodate polarities, let the new question be, should this be coped with? If so, use a spiritual tool that helps you cope with it. If not, change it. If you condition yourself to create a bubble reality for yourself that is purely positive, so that you cannot see or feel or understand or accommodate the opposing reality that there is pain in this world, then you will be the kind of person who actually creates no change on this planet. Now here's the thing. You did not just come here to change yourself in accordance with expansion. You came here as a part of this world so that you yourself could change this world. Because by virtue of changing it, you are bringing it into the expanded place for this universe. Because what is the truth of this reality? The universe is us. Have a good week.